evening and welcome to Central Baptist Church Wednesday night prayer meeting. If you would please take your hymn book out and turn to hymn number 305. In number 305, let's all stand and sing out on Praise Him, Praise Him. back to 298. Hit number 298. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Once I was lost in sin's degradation, Jesus came down to bring me salvation. Sorrow and shame. Now I belong to. 
to see everybody here tonight and uh, I'll have to say excuse me for my voice just once um, I told Mike and Debbie that uh, because preacher's gone we're kind of filling in and you've got the uh, the backup for the third string bench warmer tonight so how about that but it is is good to see you uh, continue to pray for pastor and his wife uh, they'll be back this Sunday. Looking forward to that. And uh, I'm sure they've gotten some good rest, which uh, well-needed rest, but uh, definitely. And then uh, as far as announcements, I believe tomorrow is chair volleyball and then the ladies meeting tomorrow night at what time? 6.30. All right. And uh, I believe that's about it uh, for announcements. Um, we'll go ahead right now and take up some prayer requests and I'd like to ask special prayer we've uh, my family's been hit hard in the last uh, last few months uh, of course you know about my my older brother had a stroke I said something about that and my mom is going through radiation treatments and uh, my sister her husband my brother-in-law she had to take him to the hospital he's got uh, abdural hematoma and so they're waiting. They gotta. They want to hurry up and do surgery on that. So we uh, we've been going through a few things. So his name is <clears throat> his name is Ken Poorchik. If you can remember the last name, don't worry about it. If you can't, uh, but Ken Poorchik. And if you pray for him, I'd really appreciate it. Even special prayer tonight. Matt's brother-in-law, Ken, um, abdural hematoma. I believe they're waiting on the 
I think one of the doctors was out of town, so they're kind of waiting on that. All right, any others? Any other? Yes, sir. What's her name? The first name? Dot Snyder. Okay. Heart issues. Heart failure. All right. Any others? All right, fellas, if you want to come forward. Yes, I'm sorry, Miss Pam. Yes, brother, continue to pray for brother Bill. I haven't gotten any updates yet. Um, Thank you, Pam, for that update. Continue to pray for Brother Bill. Any others? All right, gentlemen, if you want to come forward, we'll get ready to take up our offering. Jeremy, would you pray? Three hundred seventy-six. Please stand and join me. We'll sing the first and last verses of "I Know Who Holds Tomorrow." I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't fall. 
sunshine for its skies may turn to green I don't worry or the future for I know what Jesus said and today I'll walk beside him for he knows what is ahead many things about I really enjoy that song. Um, kind of goes along with what we're talking about tonight. And uh, if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles, turn over to <clears throat> 2 Peter 3. And uh, again, I, I had mentioned this last week. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll do verse, to, verse by verse, and sometimes I'll do topical with verse by verse mixed in. I don't know homiletically how legal that is, but uh, I've done that for many years, um, and tonight I, you know, I have a, a, a topic, and I'll tell you how I came upon it, it's a, the topic of, of God's promises in our lives, and I want us to look at Second uh, Peter chapter 3, and about verse 10, within the context, it says, but the day of the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise. I'm sorry, let's back up. Verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Uh, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Father, thank you for uh, tonight. We again lift up our pastor and his wife before you. Thank you very much for them. Thank you for this church and those faithful uh, uh, followers in, 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 this, uh, in the church. Thank you for these that are here on Wednesday night. We pray for everything going on over in the, uh, in the gym with Brother Tony and the young people. Thank you again for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, within the context of, of this particular verse, if you notice the verse before, he compares a thousand years as one day with the Lord, meaning that our patience and our waiting is not like the Lord's. And so uh, Peter kind of reinforces that when he says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises because as some men count slackness, because in a lot of cases, because God's promises don't happen when we want them to happen, we think they're not going to happen. But everything, listen, so far, uh, all, the, all the prophecies have been fulfilled up to this point. If you read any of the Old Testament uh, prophecies, they've been fulfilled in, in God's time, in God's timing, perfect timing. But we're, we're like that. That's our... Uh, that's our humanity. We, we become slack when we don't think that God is going to fulfill certain promises in our lives. But he's not slack. And again, Peter compares, he says, not his men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us, usward. Thank you for that. Not willing that any should perish. And by the way, that's another good verse. Not to get off the subject too much, but that's another good verse that tells us that God wants everyone to be saved. Not just the chosen few, but everyone. He wants all to come. Now, will all come to repentance? No. But it's not up to us to know who is and who isn't. That's God's business. And that's how I've always viewed that. I've got some friends I, I've gone to college, I went to college with years ago, that have kind of gone into that camp of, limited atonement and all that um, and believe there's only a certain few that'll, you know, and essentially what it is is it just keeps you from reaching the lost ultimately and being evangelistic like our church is. But God wants everyone to be saved for God so loved the world and he wants everyone, everyone to come to repentance. And again, not everyone will, but he wants everyone. And so, but uh, I thought I'd use that portion of scripture to kind of go into uh, my thoughts on God's promises. And there's, you can, you can number almost 7,000 promises of God in the Bible. There's just promise after promise, and he fulfills every one of them. But the reason I'm doing that, of course, we know um, this month is uh, Unpride Month, or Pride Month. And uh, you see rainbows all over the place. And you talk about a symbol that's been stolen and used for the wrong thing. The opposite of what it was uh, initially used for. And I'll get into that, uh, the idea of the rainbow. By the way, uh, for the believers, the rainbow used to be a magnificent thing. And it's a beautiful thing to see in the sky because it reminds us of, of what I'll talk about a little bit tonight. Uh, of God's promise of not destroying the earth with, uh, with a flood. But it's been hijacked. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll kind of reinforce and be an encouragement tonight about God's promises and how God deals with things. And he's not slack concerning his promises, even when it comes to salvation, but when it comes to his judgment as well. But um, I want to look at, uh, in Genesis there, where it talks about every living creature that is with you, fowl, the cattle of the earth, the beasts of the earth, 
from all that go in the ark and every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh, flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall any more be uh, any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, "This is a token of the covenant which I make between me and you." Talking to Noah and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. And I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring the cloud over the earth that the bow or bow shall be seen in the cloud. And essentially what God, the covenant that God was making was that he, his promise was he would not, and he was making it with Noah and perpetual generations. The promise was he would not flood the earth um, like he did. And I want to I want to talk about the flood just for a minute. And first of all, I want to say this, that um, there's even Christian believers, there's even Christian theologians that believe it was not a worldwide flood. That there's some, and this is what they'll say, they'll say, I believe it was a universal flood, but not a worldwide flood. Meaning that it covered all the land where there were human beings, but it didn't cover all the land on the whole earth. Well, I don't believe that at all. Because, I mean, as much, it wasn't just rain, it was water coming from the deep, water coming from the heavens. And this wasn't just a, a, a 40 day rainstorm, this was a deluge of proportions that we can't even understand. And so it covered the whole earth and it destroyed the whole earth, um, which is why we the earth is a lot different than it was probably uh, prior to that. That's By the way, that's a wonderful study as well. But, uh, but it's always under attack because, and I said this last week when I was talking about the words throughly and thoroughly, there's little attacks there in the word of God that put the question mark in your mind sometimes. Well, if it wasn't a universal flood, and the Bible says that it, you know, that the whole world was covered, which one is true? And a lot of times, you, you those questions, and once those question marks start, a lot of times, it takes us down a, the wrong trail of questioning everything that God does, and questioning the existence of God and how He works. So I'm going to give God the benefit of the doubt, as I always do and say it was a worldwide flood, and the whole earth was covered. I mean, there's, there's too much evidence now, even geological evidence. Uh, there's some that will deny it, but there's a lot that show, there's proof that it was a worldwide flood. So I just thought I'd share that with you, but reason for the flood, uh, God saw the wickedness of men in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And, you know, just prior to that verse, it talks about the giants in the land. The, the Nephilim, I guess, is what, what you call them. And I've done some study on that. And there's, a, there's two lines of thinking on that, whether they were the sons of God and the daughters of men, whether the, that was the pure line or, or the bad line. And it was a bad line. The sons of God, I believe, were uh, expelled angels, and they interbred with human uh, females and they created a, a race uh, of giants not just giants uh, uh, physically which they were but also in their ability to, to gain power in, in realms and in reigns and things of that nature and as a result of it uh, evil was just widespread as we know and God saw the wicked God takes note 
But if you think about it this way, God saw the wickedness of men. That means it had been going on. And God didn't immediately judge it, which he's long-suffering. I mean, when it says that God is not willing that any should perish, he means that. He doesn't want any human being to die. That's why when I think about those babies in the wombs being murdered, I think, man, what does that do to the heart of God? And when I think about some of the persecution that goes on with God's people as we speak right now, as we speak, as a matter of fact, I would go as far as to say from some of the research I've done, there's more, more persecution now than there has been even in the church age. Um, in, in places in the Middle East and China and places like that. But God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination, he got to the point, it got to the point where every imagination and every thought of his heart was only evil continually. So almost to the point of no return. When is that point? I have no idea. None of us know. But apparently... The worldwide consensus at this time was just about, with the exception of Noah and his family, everybody thought evil continually. The wickedness abounded. And when wickedness abounds, people look at wickedness as goodness and goodness as evil and call it good, and e good evil and evil good. And so that, that was the case. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on, his, on the earth, and it grieved him in the heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But, and there's always that but, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So it was man's wickedness that obviously prompted God to flood this earth. And then it was a worldwide flood, and God spake unto Noah and his sons. And I don't want to get into it uh, too much, but he says in verse 11, I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off uh, uh, by me uh, off any more by the waters of the flood. So that was the promise that he had made. But we know uh, the catastrophe that came in the covenant that was getting and that getting and that was God's promise of, uh, and God's response uh, to man's wickedness. And we understand the, the worldwide flood and the destruction that it caused. And every, li every living creature was destroyed. And, uh, and then, of course, Noah and the story of the ark, which is real. Um, that's another thing that's always under scrutiny with, with scientists. But we know there's an ark. It's been seen. It exists. And how that was accomplished, I don't know. I know Noah was in the building program for 100 years. So, and it was a pretty big, it was big enough. I know there's one with the same dimensions up there in Kentucky that people can go and see. It's, an, it's a big exhibit and it gives you, and so there's a lot of explanation as to how that was accomplished. But uh, God did it and uh, Noah, through God's instruction, did it. So. But we see the promise of the rainbow after the flood and the promise that God was not going to flood the earth again. He's not going to give, uh, there will be destruction eventually and we'll have the new heavens and the new earth.
but God promised that he would not flood the world like he did. Um, and I'm sure that it, it grieved him to see the hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people at that time drowning and, and dying in the vast destruction of not just a flood, but just the overwhelming destruction and cataclysm and, and the probably the earth tremors and earthquakes and everything that went on during that. But he made that promise and he put a bow in the sky. And so every time we see that as believers, we see that rainbow, we understand God's, God's promise is true. And so you see how that that particular thing has been stolen, hijacked, and perverted into something that it's not. And um, I was just looking at, uh, I looked at, looked at an announcement, my nephew, uh, my brother is a retired lawyer, and my nephew is a lawyer as well, and he just uh, got on a firm, well, the firm he's with moved him to our hometown in upstate New York, and uh, I noticed that the, the symbol of his firm like a lot of different symbols, I guess apparently for this month had a rainbow going through it. Um, just, I don't know, I guess out of pressure from a lot of the elites and a lot of companies are like that. Sometimes, a lot of times you'll hear commercials now about, um, you know, how this Pride Month and we're for LGB and LGB and all the way through. and. Uh, you know, companies just, they capitulate to the, just a, 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 a small amount of people that put pressure on them. And it's a shame that it's that way because it's a, it's a lie. And then again, they've stolen the rainbow that's been hijacked uh, to a symbol of, of something that's, that's wicked and evil. And uh, now, should we love folks like that? Yeah, we should. Should pray for them. I've witnessed to many in my life, and probably a lot of you have witnessed to folks that have that lifestyle, and you may have some relatives and, and some friends and people you know that live that way. We don't need to hate them. Uh, I don't think God hates them. I think he hates what they do. Uh, but we need to be a witness and a testimony, obviously, for that. And so I want to go move on and uh, move, look at God's promise of truth. In Titus 1-2, it says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You know, the wonderful thing about God is he can never lie, and he will never lie. And so every promise that he gives us, everything that this Bible says, and if listen, if this Bible isn't complete and perfect, then we don't have a Bible. You follow me? We do have a Bible, and it's complete. It's perfect, and there's not one lie in there. God cannot lie. He will not lie, and he cannot lie. Uh, was the Lord probably tempted to lie when he was on this earth? Probably. He was, he was in all points tempted, according to the scripture, but he never did lie. He fulfilled that. Well, and of course, we know one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness. The only person that could pen something like that, and it have authority is God because man can't write that down man can't say okay none of us are going to lie ever again that's a lie in and of itself men will lie we we are weak we're frail and we're prone to wander as the as the song says and we will lie sometimes should we know 
Should we follow God's example, Christ's example, the word of God's example? Yes, we should. But we fail sometimes. We falter. Sometimes we, we tell those little white lies. Does this make me look skinny? And then hmm, you're not sure what to say and things, things like that. Uh, how does this look on me? And, and things of that nature. Uh, you know, different things like that. Uh, sometimes we tell little white lies about things and we got to be careful. We got to be careful about things like that. And so, but God doesn't lie. He tells the truth. The truth hurts sometimes. Sometimes when I'm reading the word of God, the truth hurts me. I read it and it goes contrary to maybe what's going on in my mind or what I think. And I get upset. They, I think that's why God gets such a bad rap so many times. Because he's all about truth. And sometimes we settle in on things that are, that are uh, not true. But they become part of our lives. And they're exposed sometimes in, during the preaching of the word of God. The preacher will say something that's a truth of God. God's truth. And it goes contrary to what something we've been used to. Uh, I'm not talking about uh, necessarily convictions and preferences. I'm talking about God's truth, uh, God's truths uh, about the word of God and things that we should do that are right according to the word of God. Sometimes the preacher will say something and it goes contrary to something we have established in our hearts and we get upset and we sometimes get angry. You got one or two choices. You can say, you know what? That's right, I need to make that change. And we don't like to do that. That's the stubbornness of man. It's the stubbornness of our, our humanity. We don't like to make those changes when we hear a truth from God that's contrary to something that we've maybe believed our whole lives or maybe something that we've uh, lived by our whole lives. But the fact is God can't lie. You know, in every communication with man, God never lies. Numbers... Uh, Chapter 19, verse 23, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall not he do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall not he make it good? And number, of course, in the context there, Balak uh, was carrying the message, and Balak had some troubles himself. But when he spoke the truth of God, he made statements like that, that God is not a man that he should lie. Men lie. We lie. Um, we've been lied to quite a bit from our leadership in the last couple of years. A lot. During, uh, during the pandemic, we were lied to by a lot of things. And it's coming to light. Uh, fortunately, there's some brave souls that will uh, put their careers and different things on the line to, to bring out the truth of some things that we were lied to about. And I don't know about you. I know every... Everybody I know does not like to be lied to, but we have, we've had some whoppers told to us to the point where we see people still believing them, and that's unfortunate. But God cannot lie. He's not like man in that respect. And then uh, 2 Samuel, uh, Saul uh, says this. He says, and also the strength of Israel will not lie, nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. God is not a man. He doesn't have to repent. He will not lie. He tells the truth. He is truth. Jesus said he was truth personified. 
And Jesus is God manifest. He's not a God. He is God manifested in the flesh. And he made the claim of being truth. In fact, that's, that's where truth comes from, uh, is God. And then, uh, I mean, when you think about it, what did, what did Satan, what did the serpent do to Eve? What was one of the things he said? Yea, hath God said. He put the question mark in Eve's mind about truth. God had already established the truth. He had already told, uh, listen, this is what you shouldn't do. And he established that. That was put in place. And then along comes the serpent, Satan. And he says, yea, did, did God really say that? And he put that question mark in Eve's mind. Now, with her being in a, in a perfect state, I don't know how she succumbed to that. I don't know. Again, that's one of those things that I'll, I'll look forward to finding out in heaven. But she did. She succumbed to that lie. And as a result of it, sin entered. In, in, and then Adam as well. Sin entered into the world. Um, and they succumbed to a lie. God's truth was established. The lie was brought in. And the lie brought destruction. But God cannot lie. And then Hebrews 6.18. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. And again another truth of, of the immutability of God and how he cannot lie. He will not lie and there are no lies within the heart and mind of God. He understands or he knows that there are lies in this world. He knows that um, Satan really uh, permeates lies in this world and then people take hold of them and then people become liars and, and there are a lot of people that are habitual liars and there are a lot of people that lie sometimes and things of that nature. But it's part of the human condition, the fallen human condition. You know, a lot of times we say, well, that's a good person here, and that's a good person there. But the Bible says that the truth is there is none good. And there, there are people that do a lot of good things. There are a lot of good Christians that submit to the will of God, and their life is filled with goodness because they submit to God's truth, and they submit to the will of God, and they're able to prove uh, permeate truth and goodness in their lives and do goodness and be unselfish in that manner. But there is none good according to the scripture. In and of ourselves, we are not good. In and of ourselves, we're a bunch of liars. And, you know, of course, uh, Revelation talks about all liars shall have their place. So if you die without Christ, if a person dies without Christ, if you told one lie, you've broken the law, you've broken God's law, and you're condemned, unfortunately. But that's just, that's God's plan. That's God's promise. So we understand that God uh, is a God. That's the promise of truth. And then the promise of redemption. I got onto this a little bit last week. And all the way back in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. We see the promise, first of all, in the garden, the promise of redemption. All through the scriptures, we see the promise of redemption. And, you know, sometimes we see the promise of redemption in nature. We do. You say, well, you know, 
primarily up north, but you see in the wintertime everything dies and becomes bleak, and, and it looks like there's no hope, but then spring comes along, and there's little sprouts that come up through the ground. Before you know it, there's grass growing again, there's flowers blooming, and that's a promise that life, life comes after death. And we, but we think in that midwinter time, is it ever gonna, is it ever gonna come? Is life ever gonna come? But it does, and we see God's promise in nature. Um, but the promise in the garden was that that God told Adam and Eve, "There's gonna be enmity," and He let the serpent know, "There's enmity. There's always gonna be enmity between mankind and the serpent, and there always is." And I think when we, you know, when we see a lot of those in power today and we see some of the decisions they make you know we think how in the world i mean the truth is right before them how can they make that kind of decision well we got to remember uh the unseen world the influences of satan and the influences of of his uh, uh devils and demons in this world he's a prince in the power of the air and he's going to establish lies whenever he can He's going to influence people in power. And we understand that. There's principalities and powers that are evil and wicked and purvey that. And they, and so in a lot of cases, that's why we understand why, uh, why people don't see the truth. We hear, we hear people in leadership saying this. And in our minds, we're, you know, we're not qualified for their leadership position. Well, we can certainly tell that they're not telling the truth. And they establish that and make it into something that they think is the truth. But um, in God's uh, promise of redemption, he says he's going to take care of all that. And then the promise in the history of Israel. In Psalm 110, it's the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And that's the promise God gives in Psalms. There's more, many more promises, but I'm just highlighting a few. God promises that the enemies are going to be under our feet. The enemies are going to be our footstool. Um, back in the Roman days, in the Colosseums, when they had those battles and different things before, a lot of times before they'd kill the enemy in, in the big fight, they'd put their hand or they'd put their foot on them. And, and, and hold them down with their foot and then chop their head off or whatever they did. But that showed a position of dominance when they put their foot on top of them and made that person or that, that enemy or that foe a, uh, a footstool. And because they put the bottom of their foot, which treads upon the earth, they put the bottom of their foot on that person. And that's what the enemy's going to have. He's going to be our footstool. According to the scriptures, according to Psalm 110, he's a defeated foe. He sure does, you know, and I don't want to give Satan any credit. I don't like to, but he sure is active for someone who knows he's going to lose, and he does know he's going to lose. He doesn't let anybody else know that, but he knows he's lost. When Jesus rose from the grave, when he, after the three days he rose from the dead, Satan lost. The resurrection is a tremendous victory against Satan, and it's a, it's a victory in our lives as well. Um, he's, he's a defeated foe, but yet he's still pouring it on, and I think he's poured it on more than ever in what we 
know is the last days, and that's where we're at right now. I mean, if a believer can't see that, then they are blind. We are in the last days. Um, and I, I guess that's good and bad. It's good, you know, for us as believers because we know the time is short, but then it's bad for those we know that aren't saved and need salvation. We want them to get saved. I think even in my family, people that aren't born again, uh, that need to be born again. And, uh, and my wife is so burdened for a lot of my family members as well as I am. And, they, and there's so much, so much truth to that. And you, I imagine a lot of you have family members that you would love to see come to Christ because the time is short. But eventually the enemy is going to be our footstool. And then the promise in the church. Um, I think it's in Romans now. I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, for they are not such that serve for they are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple and concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ with you be with you. Amen. Paul, in his um, final words, gives that word of encouragement. He says there are foes. There are people that are going, there are believers that are going contrary to the truth. They serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. He's talking about people within the church, people within the realm of believers, people who claim to believers and possibly believers who are, you know, away from the Lord. He says they serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And with good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Hmm. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. He's saying, but you, your obedience is, is well spoken of. And then he finishes with this. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. He's giving them a word of encouragement. And he's, when, he, when he uses that term, bruise Satan under your feet, he's saying that Satan is the one that's causing this, that's, that's creeping into the hearts, even of believers, and causing them to go contrary to serving the Lord and serving their own uh, selfish needs and things of that nature. He said, he, and when he mentions Satan, it's because Satan is the one that's doing that. They're succumbing to the influences of Satan, the devil. Um, but he says, listen, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. Shortly, shortly, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And then, so not only the promise in the garden, the promise in the history of Israel, the promise in the church, but also the promise in end times. And this is probably the most exciting one. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Got to remember, Satan was, he was uh, first in, when he was Lucifer, he was first in power under God. He was God's right-hand man. And he retained a lot of that power when he was expelled 
from heaven. And he became the prince and the power of the air. So he's a powerful being. But there's an angel, much powerful, that bound him. I could, I don't know. I think we'll have access to that scene in heaven. But I sure want to, that's one of the reruns I want to watch. When the angel comes and he binds Satan and he casts him in the bottom, bottomless pit for a thousand years and he's loose for a while uh, and then he's, he's eventually cast out in, into eternity. But I want to see that scene. I want to see when God sent, he, he, he sends that angel. He says, okay, now it's time. And that angel faces off with Satan. I don't know what kind of battle it's going to be. I imagine it'll be one because we understand uh, in Daniel and other places that there were there there is an invisible battle going on between God's angels and the devil's fallen crew. We understand that, and so I imagine it's going to be quite a quite a dust up, quite a fight. But eventually, Satan is going to be bound, and when he's bound, he's powerless. And when he's powerless, he's cast into the bottomless pit. That means for a thousand years, he's going to be fallen. Think about that. And he's going to be disoriented. And he's going to be all messed up. And that's going to be a horrible punishment, even for him. Even for him. And so we see the promise in the end times of God, God's promise of redemption. The one who is who has gotten into the lives of people and caused great harm in humanity and caused people to do tragic, horrible things. We think about people like Hitler and Mao and people who, and Stalin and people over history, some of the Caesars that have killed people by the thousands and the millions um, and have become monsters as human beings. And we think about all that terrible, the horrible things that have happened in this fallen world. Because Satan crept into the hearts and the minds of individuals and raised them up into power, into a principality or power. And they, uh, they obtained the capability to do horrible things to humanity. All of that is going to be on, on, the, on the docket for Satan when he is bound up and he is cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. I can't, I, I don't know how... Even though he knows this, this is in the written word, he knows this, he is still very active. He's still active in the lives and the hearts of people, trying to just destroy as many lives as he can. He's trying to turn the truth, because he hates truth. Because Jesus said he was, this, Jesus was truth personified. So he hates truth, and he attacks truth. He attacks this word of God. Why do you think we have so many versions of the Bible out there to cause confusion? And who is, and this is, a, this is a rhetorical question, who is the author of confusion? It's not God. The Bible teaches us clearly. Uh, but he's going to be bound. And then the promise of provision. God says this, but my God, or the word of God says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, um, I think it was Tony that was talking about Philippians just a few verses before that. Um, I can do all things through Christ. How that 
verse has been taken out of context quite a bit. Well, this one as well. This one has been taken out of context quite a bit. And the key to this verse is the word need. It's not needs. It's need. What we need are not our needs, not our wants, but our need in existing as believers. God shall supply all your need. He'll make it so we can exist. Now, you think about it. Think about some of the poor third world nations where there are thriving churches and Christians who got nothing, but they sure are happy and have the spirit of God in their lives because their need is taken care of. Their spiritual need is taken care of. And when your spiritual need is taken care of, you realize what your priorities are. But a lot of times when we get our priorities out of whack because we don't understand that God has already taken care of our need. And we think we got, we got to take control. That's the, that's the human spirit anyway. We want to always, we want to knock God off the throne and run our own lives. And boy, we make a mess of it sometimes, don't we? We make wrong decisions when God's not involved. I've done that in my life. I'm sure you've done that in your life. And we pay consequences for those decisions because we have not understood that God does supply all our need. He takes care of us. Um, I would love, uh, and, and you know, when my boys were growing up, my wife and I took care of their need. We took care of them. And, and I would love to just take care of every need that they have because they're my children. And you're like that with your children and grandchildren. Um, took my granddaughter shopping the other day and uh, pretty much, you know, got what she wanted. I think she, we got her an easy bake oven and I told her she needs to make, make something for pops. And she said, okay. And when she comes over, we, we took her on the boat uh, yesterday and went in the pool and just had a big time and uh, had some McDonald's and all that stuff. I love to just go ahead and got kid, that's a job of grandparents to spoil your grandkids anyway. It's a fun job. But I also want her need taken care of because I love her and you love your children and grandchildren. How much more does God love his children? And the only reason I gave that illustration is because to show the human love that we have for our family, our children, grandchildren. How much more does God's perfect love have for us when he knows exactly what our need is and what we need in our lives? And so, um, here, where is it at? I think I listed a couple of promises or a few more promises. Almost done. God sees and is aware of everything we go through. God gives eternal life. God cares about everything we go through. God grieves when we hurt. God loves us unconditionally. God will never leave us or forsake us. God gives strength to endure. And God gives peace in the storm. So keep those thoughts in mind. Keep the promises of God in mind. Uh, when, we, when we turn on the news and see all the bad stuff going on, there are many, many promises that we have as believers that God has imparted unto us as believers. All right, let's stand. We'll have a word of prayer. Appreciate uh, being here tonight. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm just the, uh, the fill-in for the, what is it, the... Uh, second, third string uh, bench warmer, and we look forward to having our preacher back this Sunday and next Wednesday, but it's, uh, it's,
uh, it's been a privilege to be able to bring the messages the last couple of Wednesdays. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you again for your word. And as we, we have this uh, short time of invitation, Lord, if there's anyone here who has a need, uh, Lord, speak to their heart. Thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.